0: This morning, we're continuing a teaching series that we're simply calling One Anothering. And if you've been tracking uh, with us over the last few weeks, you know that we're in this series and we're focusing on relationships, as we often do as our rhythm of teaching and preaching uh, here at the South Suburban Vineyard. We'll pause each uh, summer to focus on relationships. And we've zeroed in on this whole idea of one anothering, and we've said week after week that this term, one another, shows up a lot of times in Scripture, and many of its occurrences are specific commands teaching us how to, and oftentimes how not to, care for one another, how to relate to other people. And the Bible is full of wisdom and instruction on relationships, uh, and it is a means to help us faithfully live out the greatest commandment. We sing about it this morning, it's on almost all of our merchandise It's on our website, love God, love people, because we believe that that's why we're here on Earth. That's the greatest commandment. And this whole notion of loving God and loving others uh, helps us to practically figure out how we're supposed to live in relationships with other people, right? And this year in our relationship series, we've uh, decided to take an elevated look at relationships. If you've engaged this series in previous years, you know that we've been drilling down on subjects like marriage, Subjects like, uh, you know, dating or things like that. But instead this year we've decided to stay at at, at an elevated view Um, so that we can have a general understanding about how we're supposed to work out these relationships and so far we've talked about self-awareness so far so far we've talked about how to um, respond well when others fail around us how to put our love in action And of course Jordan did a fantastic job last week of talking to us about how we're to love God and love people online through social media Uh, but today I want to continue this series by focusing on the very very important topic of serving others serving others. And I think this is super important to drill down on in our regular diet of preaching. We're regularly coming up to this subject of serving others because I don't think there's many things that can properly orient our hearts in the way our hearts need to be oriented like serving others, right? Right? Nothing can quite calibrate our hearts. It doesn't matter what age you are. And we got everybody in here uh, today, and that'll make more sense later as I explain it. But it doesn't matter what age you are. Nothing can quite calibrate your heart to the right position like serving others. And I think that it's helpful and necessary to say that love serves. Right? Love serves. And I would go as far to say is that you're probably not loving well, if you're loving at all, if you are not serving others. Love serves, period. I heard somebody say years ago, I don't know how to be humble, but I know how to do humble things. (laughs) Somebody said, I don't know how to be a servant, I don't know what the definition of a servant is, but somehow if I just start doing servant things, then maybe my heart will be converted toward servanthood, toward humility, and it is the way of Jesus, and therefore the way of the Christian to serve because love serves, period. And so today as we look look at this subject, this really important, essential subject of serving, We'll look at a story of Jesus modeling what it looks like to serve his disciples. The famous passage of scripture uh, that we'll look at today where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And while it may on the surface look like a really kind, really pious gesture, there's something in this act of washing feet that might teach us how to be a servant, how to live a life of a servant in every meaningful sphere of life. We'll look at that story today in John chapter 13. Would you meet me there in your Bible? John chapter 13. And I'm simply calling this message this morning, Masterclass, How to Wash Feet. <laughs> Masterclass, How to Wash Feet. I'm in John chapter 13. I'm talking about serving this morning. And while you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example. We thank you for your word. We thank you for, your op- for this opportunity to come together yet again, to slide our legs underneath your table and have you teach us. Show us. We humble ourselves today because we know that there are things about you, things about this Christian life that we don't quite know yet, things that we haven't quite mastered. We are yet learning. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us humble posture to receive and to respond to you in a way that you will find pleasing. Teach us how to serve. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm in John chapter 13. We're talking about a master class on how to wash feet. I'll begin at verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, He now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you, don't, you, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Verse 10, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you I tell you the truth no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them this is the word of the Lord now this is Jesus here with his 12 disciples he knew as the scripture says here that his time on earth to an end he was preparing to go back to heaven where uh, from he he come and he was aware of the betrayal that was coming from Judas. So all of these things are pressing on him. He knows that he has just but final pre- uh, a few uh, important moments with his disciples and he's leaving them with something to carry out his mission with, right? And so he uses this opportunity to teach these guys a lesson that they wouldn't hopefully soon forget and he's also teaching us too, a lesson that hopefully we won't forget. And on the one hand, this is a symbolic gesture. This symbolic gesture of foot washing is a demonstration of what he came to do. Don't miss the gospel message in all of this. It's symbolic of Jesus washing us clean from our sins. This is a picture of the gospel. His whole mission is wrapped up in the dirty work of bringing hope and salvation to hopeless sinners like you and me. Hopeless sinners who have been marred and soiled by all manner of sin, dysfunction, and issues. On the one hand, this is a demonstration of the gospel, but it is also an absolute masterclass on how to be a servant. It's an intensive, if you will, on how to be a servant. And I'm glad that we got the little ones in here, we've got our middle schoolers in here today, we've got our high schoolers in here, and every age all the way up to the oldest person in the room because this is a message for everyone who is serious about following Jesus. This is a message for everybody who is interested in the spiritual life in Christ. It's a master class on how to be a servant, not just in moments of service, but all throughout your entire life. Use your imagination, if you will, to imagine this scene. The meal is being served, and during this meal, Jesus gets up, removes his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, pours water into a basin, and begins to wash his disciples' feet. You might know that in the first century, foot washing was a common common, um, activity. it was considered basic hospitality. But it was usually done by the lowest person in the room, usually a servant, right? And you have to consider some other things that these guys are often traveling on unpaved roads, dirt roads, they're wearing uh, open-toed shoes, and so these aren't like 21st century feet. These are nasty feet. Two dozen nasty feet. And so imagine the scene. Imagine the indignity of the task. And I think as we process Jesus' actions here, we might wonder how we might take this in. What should we fill our pockets with to take home with us Jesus offers a master class on serving others. I wanna highlight three things and I wanna give us a few practical ways to live this out. The first thing I see that Jesus teaches us here is that servants look like servants. Servants look like servants. I might go as far to say that servants talk like servants. Servants carry themselves like servants and servants have the attitude of servants. In three realms of life, servanthood is important in our words, in our deeds, and our disposition. What we say, what we do, how we carry ourselves, our attitudes. Servants look like servants. Verse 4 says, so he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, to the casual reader, this is just Insignificant information. But imagine everybody is wearing the normal robes that everybody wore, but the servants in the room were distinguishable by what they looked like. They were not wearing the robes that everybody else wore, they had on a different sort of outfit. And so Jesus taking off his outer robe, he would be appearing before his disciples and everybody else in the room as a servant, and if him taking off his outer robe wasn't significant enough, you would certainly understand uh, that he was assuming the role of a servant when he wrapped, what, a towel around his waist. Jesus was, all, was trying to look the part. You understand what I'm saying? Because servants look like servants. Servants look like servants. Now, Jesus is doing this in the natural, but he's already done this in the spiritual, in the spirit realm. We'll notice this Paul's words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This is super important, right? And so in the same natural way that Jesus takes off his outer garments of importance and dons the the uniform of a servant, this is exactly what he did when he became to earth as the incarnate deity. He disrobed himself of his godness and clothed himself in humanity and uh, I don't know about you, but that's, that's quite a downgrade, right? Imagine being God one moment and being a baby the next. Imagine having uh, access to all kinds of power to do whatever you want and in the next moment, willfully coming to earth as a human having human problems, human limitations, having to deal with the other humans. This is a downgrade if ever I've seen one. And yet, this is the way of Jesus. And therefore, it is the way that we're expected to walk and live as well. Jesus, in taking off his outer garment, appears before his disciples as a servant. And this was the beginning of an intentional, well thought out living parable that he would leave with them. We know what power looks like, don't we? Right, in our society? We love our People Magazine, our Us Weekly, our TMZ. We know what power and importance look like when we see powerful people in positions of power in the world, celebrities, politicians, even powerful men and women of faith. We see them being rushed along into private rooms. We see them given the best seats. We see them given the finest foods. And the ordinary common folks like us are hustled away because they're much too important to interact with us. And this is where Jesus, in his own upside down way, chooses to voluntarily humiliate himself to make a fool of himself for the sake of what? Others others. Servants look like servants. And I wonder what type of person you would become. What type of servant would you be if you weren't afraid of looking like a servant, of appearing as a servant, of being known as a servant? What would you say? How would you use your words, your deeds, your disposition? Servants say words like, how can I help? And they really want to help. Servants do things that seek to find where the holes are so they can fill them. What unmet needs can I take care of? This is the life, these are the deeds of a servant. And much like Jesus, servants have the disposition, they have the posture, they have the attitude of a servant. Servants look like servants. And we see that here in this text. The second thing I see is that servants get low. Somebody say get low. Servants get low. Now, this one is implied, but it's not hard to imply this, that Jesus got low here, because we know that it's hard to wash feet when you're standing straight up. Unless they've got one of these modern foot, foot washing stations you ever see, like the shoe shine booth in the... Uh, airport where the person's sitting high and and the feet are right there for you to shine? I I don't think Jesus had one of those. I don't think these first century homes were equipped with uh, elevated foot washing stations. Now, if you're going to wash feet in this context, you had to do what? Get low. And there's nothing that could bring you off of your high horse like serving somebody else. Uh, there's nothing that can take you down from the pedestal that you or others have built for you like being a servant. Servants get low. And so therefore, the life and way of Jesus intentionally gets on and stays on what I like to call the down escalator of life. You see, everything about the American dream, as I've said many times before, uh, has you aspiring to go up and up and up. Because at the top of that up escalator is more importance, it's more money, it's where all the, the important influencers are. And everything about the American dream says if you can get on that up escalator and stay on that up escalator, that, then you're living. And then you encounter the scriptures. And Jesus and the way of Jesus is pointing you to the down escalator toward humility and sacrifice and service. Am I right? It seems like people are working really hard to not just to be rich, but to look richer than they are. Seems like people are working really hard not to just be important, but to look more important than they actually are to appear more powerful than they actually are, to, be more, to appear more influ- influential than they actually are, to appear more well-connected than we actually are. Why? Because we've internalized this notion that if I can just get up there, then I'll really be living the life. And if I can't actually get up there, maybe, especially online, maybe I'll just pretend that I'm up there. Maybe I'll curate my appearance and my social media feed and I'll use all kinds of filters to make me thinner than I actually am, prettier than I actually am, maybe I'll lie or fudge the thing so that people think I'm really living the life when Jesus is constantly pouring us down, 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 down escalated. In God's economy, the way up is, is down. And I gotta tell you, man, I, I love how comfortable Jesus is in his own skin honestly I love to see a humble servant I'm not talking about a humble servant that, that's dragging the ground but there's a certain amount of swagger that I find in people who know who they are comfortable in their own skin and yet they seek and aspire to be servants I love how Jesus was able to touch so many his disciples, the sinful Samaritan woman at the well, the lepers, the adulterous women, the despised tax collectors. Though he was God, knew who he was, he's still not too important to descend, to get low, to connect with those who were hurting, who were harassed, who were helpless, who were despised. Jesus had this eye of God. A servant. Jesus, as the scriptures tells us, had the attitude of a servant because he worked hard to maintain the altitude of a servant. He got low. I say that again. Jesus maintained the attitude of a servant because he maintained the altitude of a servant. He got and stayed low. And this was his message to us. Check out what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20. He says, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want to read that last verse again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, But to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying to his disciples and therefore saying to us, listen, you know how they do it out in the world. Important people, Lord, their power and authority over others, but he says, if you're gonna follow me, it must be different with you. He said, because even your rabbi, even your teacher, even the incarnate deity, even the word made flesh, came not to this earth to be served but to serve. Can I fill you in on a little secret? All of my heroes are servants. Like, all of them. That's not to say that there aren't people that I admire this about their life or this about their story or this about how they, you know, have become successful, but I'm saying, from all of my heroes are humble, regular guys. And I I am in the vineyard today of all the places where I could be pastoring. I am in the vineyard today of all places that I could be. Because when I came to the vineyard in 2001 as a young college student just trying to figure out who I was, I encountered at a decent-sized church really powerful people who appeared, at least to me, like regular guys. I showed up in this church, and I saw the executive pastor straightening chairs. I observed him as he walked past a piece of paper on the floor. He, he picked it up. I didn't live far from the church, and as I began to fold into the vineyard, I would come throughout the week because they would serve a lunch there, or maybe the, one of the pastors had invited me into a meeting. I showed up one day, and the executive pastor was out on the patio. He, he was painting, you know, they had a lectern like this, and it needed, it, was, it needed another coat of paint, and he was out on the patio. You know, where I'm from, the preachers didn't do that. Now, we, my parents passed a small church, so they practically did everything. But I'm talking about, like, pastors came in a, in a separate door. They had different, they had special chairs. Their, their, their parking spot was the closest to the door. And they weren't painting lectors and picking up paper and straightening chairs. But I came in and seeing these dudes straightening chairs. I said, man, I think that's the kind of preacher I want to be. Man, I think that, that's, this is what most closely aligns with the life and way of Jesus. They were humble dudes. And they weren't just humble dudes. They also walked in their authority. We knew they were in charge. But they were regular, accessible guys, and they flew low to the ground. And I thought, despite all of the cultural hurdles that I would eventually have to overcome in order to stay in the vineyard, I, something within me connected with the fact that their altitude was low. That there wasn't too many jobs in the church that was beneath them. I'm in the vineyard today because I saw the leaders being humble. All of my heroes are humble. Which is to say it matters who your heroes are. We got the students in here today. It matters which lunch table you sit at. It matters who your friends are. It matters who you hang out with. In the contentious election season, it matters who you vote for. It matters what, can, uh, 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 what candidate you champion. It matters who you cheer for. All of my heroes are servants, and they get low. chief among them, Jesus Christ. The servants get low. I want to say before I move on that there's a fake version of this, there's a counterfeit version of this, there's a social media version of this, (laughs) and I'm not talking about that version at all, but servants get low. But if you want to avoid the social media, the photo op version of this, we'll bring you to our third third and final point here, and that is that servants do servant things. Servants do servant things. Now, at this point, Jesus appears as a servant. He's got the look, but that look needs to be accompanied with action, right? Verse 5 tells us that after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around his waist. Use your mind's eye, if you will, to imagine the scene. 12 people, 24 feet, unpaved roads, open-toed shoes, disciples who were maybe rough around the edges, weren't the cleanliest dudes you might meet. Imagine what their feet did to that tiny little basin of clean water. Imagine the mud sloshing. You can probably imagine the smell. You can probably imagine the mess. You can probably imagine the awkwardness of grown men handling each other's feet. This was not pretty. But he looked the part, he poured the water, but he actually did the servant work. He didn't just take the selfie, post it on Instagram, hashtag feet, hashtag foot washing, Hashtag that servant life with a Y, not an I. Hashtag hands and feet. (laughs) He feet. He actually washed the feet. He actually washed the feet. He actually did the undesirable, humiliating thing because servants do servant stuff. You understand what I'm saying? Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set for you what? An example that you should should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you talk about them. You will be blessed if you write about them. You will be blessed if you do your devotional on the subject. No. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you actually what? Do, do, do them. Servants, do servant stuff, and the servants have oftentimes the hardest job. The servants are often doing the most undesirable tasks. And what I've found as a pastor is that because I am, uh, the, I guess, the senior member of our team here, I have the most power in the organization. I could very easily arrange it so that I am doing only what I want to do. Now I think the, the leaders that we have assembled in the organization that we have assembled would, would challenge me on that, right? But if you're slick enough you can you can give all the undesirable tasks away and you can do the stuff that builds your profile and makes you or, or, or more influential or if you're going to be really sinister about it, that lines your pocket and makes you the most wealthy. When you have the most power in an organization, you can like, you can give the dirty work to someone else. This is not just true in a church like this, but if you're the boss, if you're a manager, if you're a parent in the household, you can could, you could arrange things so that people are serving you. And the way Jesus frames all the stuff concerning the servant life is that you you have to be, like you have to choose to be a servant. Like you have to choose to do the hard things. You have to choose to have the posture and the disposition of a servant. You have to choose to get on the down escalator and to get low when everything about the American dream is pointing you to the glorious up escalator. Like you have to choose regularly in the various spheres of your life to do servant things. Jesus says, if you call me master, if you call me savior, that's cool because that's what I am, but if I the master, if I the Messiah, if I the rabbi, if I the commander in chief can stop my meal, take off my cool clothes, and wash your smelly feet, don't you ever think twice about showing up as a servant in your particular spheres of life. Don't you ever go through life or go through ministry or go through family life or go through your vocational life with things and people who are beneath you. Because that there are no things, no tasks, no people beneath those who follow the risen Savior there are no people beneath us. Beneath us in means and status, physical appearance and stature. Don't find anybody or anything beneath you. Servants do servant things. Now if we put this all together, you can think about these in the various spheres of of life as you live it, right? But if you heard me talk about service, you, you know where I'm going to start, right? As I just sort of tick off some, some areas where, you know, we're supposed to show up and show up really well. I, I'm going to always start where you live. I'm going to always start where you live. Are you, are you a servant at home? Huh? I know for those of us who are exhausted parents, you say I feel like somebody's servant. Picking up and cleaning and that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Nobody told you to have them kids. It has to be here. Right? I'm talking about the willful servant stuff. And I, and I, and I point this back to me because I realized that. You know, and you hear me say this often that, you know, you, you, you can see me on this elevated platform giving you prepared remarks. And you can think, boy, like, what, what a servant. What a guy. Oh, I'm, I'm at work, right? And I The real test of all this stuff is at home, isn't it? Where you're most comfortable. And often where we find ourselves on our worst behavior, like the real test of whether or not you're a willful servant, like, is is at home. Look, I can come up here and preach. I, I, I can serve at the food pantry. You can see me on social media, feeding the home. Like, all that stuff. But if I'm not serving my people at home, then i'm missing it if i'm not available to my wife in the ways that she needs me to be available to her if she's not available to me in the ways that i need her to be available to me then what does any of this matter my six-year-old zeke you know the way i serve him is like he he's into video games now right and so he loves to play this fighting game and, and, and he said, Daddy, would you come, come play Tekken with me? Come play Tekken with me. And I don't feel like playing Tekken, but sometimes I, I, play, I play Tekken with him. But Zeke likes to pick my player, so he knows the guy I'm good with. So Zeke wants to pick my person so that I'm not as good, so that he can beat me. And the way I can serve my six-year-old is to let him pick me, this random person, that I don't know their moves to level the playing field. That's one of the ways, right? My kids want me to take them to the ball field when I, when I don't feel like going to the ball field. They want me to be interruptible and available to them when, I, when, I've, when I've spent loads of energy elsewhere. That's, that's how I serve them. And I'm not always successful there. I'm not always available. I'm not always interruptible. But as I wrestle with what it means to be a servant at home, these are the things I come up with. All the public stuff, all the work stuff. I mean, that, that, that's important, but it's not nearly as important, right? And so what does it look like for you in the way of Jesus to wash feet at home? Now, up until this point, I've been talking from the perspective of an adult, we got our students in here how many of the parents would like me to talk just for a few minutes preach. come on mark said preach come on kids you're a follower of jesus too you're a disciple of the way of jesus too and how many of you know that god expects you to be a servant in your in your home And this doesn't just mean like do what you're told to do, because some of you do what you're told to do, but you don't have that disposition. we talk about disposition and attitude. We're talking about the rolling of the eyes, the smacking of the teeth, the exasperation in your voice. Jesus was a humble servant. He was a willing servant. And my guess is that you aren't paying any bills, you know? Sometimes the least you can do is wash a few dishes, keep your room clean, and be a contributing member of the family to which you belong. It may seem really unspiritual, but it is the way of Jesus. And how many of you know if you can learn to be a servant in your house, you will become a better servant outside of your house? And so don't think of what your parents are asking you to do by way of cleaning your room and doing your chores and showing up well as a member of your house as sort of drudgery. Think of it as spiritual formation. Think of it as being trained to know and believe that there are more people in the universe than you. Think of it as God showing you and teaching you how to be a contributing member of his family. And you know how to be a contributing, you know how you learn how to be a contributing member of the broader family of God? You become a contributing member of your nuclear family. You learn to be a servant where you live. And so Jesus, excuse me, Jesus is talking to you as well. What are the other places, what are the other spheres? Uh, In your vocational life, where you work, Now, we shouldn't have to talk about this because you literally, somebody gives you money. They give you money to do this job. (laughs) But it's no surprise to any of us that the service industry has never been more lackadaisical and indifferent, especially after COVID, right? But how many of you know Jesus is really interested in how you show up at work? Some of you will spend more waking hours at work than you will spend at home. And so if you think about it in terms of your Christian witness, then all of a sudden we've drawn into sharper focus how important it is to show up as a servant in the place where you literally get paid to show up as a servant. And of course, kids, your vocation is school, and so just apply what I'm saying to you. Some of us have tried to figure out how little can I do and not get fired. My mom was prone to saying to us, "Boy, you're doing just enough to get by." And my 13-year-old mind, I'm like, well, "What was the problem?" I figured it out. You know, some of you in college, you get the syllabus, you go, "Okay." Let's see. If you were my wife, you figure out, okay, I'm gonna get these done early. I'm, I'm gonna get 100% on this. Me, I was like, okay, so how many quizzes can I miss? So this homework is most, this much, so if I only did seven of these 10 assignments, I can get by. And some of us, were wired to think that way. And that's how we show up in life. How little can I do and still make the grade? Can I put it to you this way? Servants of the Most High God don't live minimums. They simply don't. And I wonder if you approach this, approach it that way in your vocational life. This whole notion of quiet quitting is a thing now, right? Where you don't actually quit uh, because you need the money, (laughs) you need the job, but you don't go above and beyond. You don't do anything that you don't have to do. Friends, that is not the way of Jesus. When we talked a couple months ago about evangelism and our Christian witness, and I wonder if you would imagine, based on how you show up to work as a servant of the living God, what type of effort and what type of energy you give at your paid vocation, how that might, like, communicate to other people something about your God. And what drives and motivates you? Maybe you hadn't thought about your vocation as Christian witness, but in the place where you get paid to show up and work well and not live minimums, how are you doing there? I can say more there, but I won't. And then there's a sort of broader, general spirit, fear in just world, the world around us. There's all sorts of people, all sorts of opportunities for us to be a servant in the world around us. There's loads of needs, there's loads of opportunities. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the story of the Good Samaritan, we had a really rich discussion in our small group about what it looks like to serve and to be generous and to be interruptible in the world around us, in the grocery store, in the laundromat, at the university, in the world where we live, to serve others which could be as simple as just holding a door open for somebody as they come with an armful of groceries. And anything else, our worlds and our vocations and where we spend our time and energy are so vast. But my hope is that in this moment, the Spirit has given you imagination for how you can show up in your world with those in need and wash feet. Maybe not actually washing feet, but to be humble, servant in your unique world. There's the fourth and final realm that I want to talk about, and this one's really close to my heart, uh, uh, and that is to be a servant here at the local church. You might have noticed that things uh, uh, are a little uh, different. If you've been here before, you know uh, that when you walked in, you were m- moving rather quickly toward the kids' check-in station uh, to check your children in today, but there were no, no friendly faces there to receive your children. Uh, you ordered, maybe thought just children would communi- experience student ministry today, but there's no student ministry today. You went back to get a fresh glass of lemonade or a hot cup of coffee, and, and there was no coffee there. And rather than a full band on stage, uh, Goose was just here leading us in wonderful worship. You'll look back in the sound booth and just Pastor David's back there running around just trying to keep everything together. There's no extra slides today or there was no words to the songs and on and on and on. That's because we gave all of our volunteers the Sunday off today. Because we wanted you to experience uh, what it's like, if, like no, if nobody serves, if it's just on the staff. And we have such well-behaved children, I mean, I, I, my, in my mind's eye, these, these Sundays would be just chaotic. Children s- swinging from the rafters, but they're so well-behaved that they're ruining, ruining the object lesson here. But in a place like this, most of the work is done by, by volunteers. And I just would, I, I don't know, float the idea that you're supposed to be a servant in your local church. This church requires a bunch of greeters, ushers, kids' church workers, hospitality folks, sound and protection, all these things to make this place work. And while we have a good percentage, respectable percentage of people serving, if I asked for a show of hands who calls this church home like who would consider this church home like nearly all the hands would go up i won't ask for a show of hands on the second question but if i ask how many of you were actively engaged in at least one ministry here not as many hands would grow up you understand what i'm saying and i just believe that a christian should be a part of a family And as I mentioned earlier in our natural nuclear families, it is well expected that each member of those families would be a contributing member of those families. And if you're in a family, you might have to wash a dish from time to time. You might have to wipe something down or scrub a toilet or shovel some snow or cut some grass because those are the servant things that helps the thing go. Now, if you're feeling super cynical about this, you might say, listen, preacher, I'm dealing with a whole lot of church hurt. I've been to a lot of churches, and churches just use the people to get the work done. And you wouldn't be wrong, right? The people are getting the work done, but how many of you know it's the way of Jesus and this sort of spiritual life that God often uses the work to get the people done? And I've seen this a million different times over the course of my ministry life. There's a guy, we'll call him Joe, and if you're Joe in here, I'm not talking about you. Joe comes five minutes late because he don't want to talk to anybody. He just wants to sing and hear some preaching, and Joe's going to leave five minutes early because he just, he just came to get something. He came to experience Sunday morning. So I'm going to run after Joe one Sunday and I'm going to say, hey Joe, 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 hey my, my, nice to meet you, my name's Gino hey Joe, you've got, a, you've got a great smile you think you might be interested in being one of our greeters? And Joe, not wanting to say no to the pastor, he, he, he says yes and so Joe, rather than coming five minutes late to church he comes now 15 20 minutes early and Joe now has to stand at the door and greet every single person that walks in that door. And in doing so, people like to learn his name. He starts to learn their name. And all of a sudden, as Joe is serving as a greeter, this stops being the church he goes to, and it starts becoming his church. And all of a sudden, as Joe's walking through the hallway, he sees a piece of paper on the floor, and he stoops to pick it up. Or he might have left it there before because this isn't just the church he goes to. This is his church. And you know what, even when Joe's not on the door, when he comes to sit on the Sunday that he's off, he knows people's names, and they know his. And Joe listens to the sermons, and he interacts with people uh, with a depth that he didn't have before because this is his church not just the church he goes to, you see? Sure, we need people to get the work done, but God often uses the work to what? To get the people done. And some of you, that's your story. You didn't experience this community and the things that go forth in this community with with the depth and the potency that you did until you started serving, right? And can I just say another thing and just leverage some pastoral authority to say, I'm just generally suspicious of people who who are just comfortable in a one-sided sort of relationship. I'm generally concerned about somebody who would be someplace long term and not lift a finger to serve. I'm generally confused by that. That is to say, is that if this is where you and your family come to be spiritually formed and to be spiritually cared for and to find community and care, I don't think it's a big ask that you would roll up your sleeves and wash your feet. It's the way of Jesus. It's a community reality that is a mutual exchange of social goods and services, communal goods and services, a mutual exchange of social and communal enlightenment in our local churches, are you serving? He said, Pastor, I would love to serve, but I don't have a clue what ministries you have. I don't have a clue what, where I would even begin. Well, it turns out that today, today we have our ministry fair. Wouldn't you know it? Just coincident. we have our ministry fair. that immediately following the service out that door and around two corners is our ministry fair where you can meet each leader, hear a little bit about their ministry, and sign up. You're not necessarily having to sign up and commit today, but you can sign up for more information or uh, opportunity to have a conversation with a ministry leader. They'll have a delicious snack there, and there might even be a competi- some competition among the ministry leaders. I don't know. I don't really care how they do it. doctor I- <laughs> says, yes, she's very competitive. I don't care. I want you to just go back there and engage and have a conversation, because if this is where you go to church, and Goose, you can come back up. Uh, worship can come right up, um, then you should be serving here. I'm going to recap all this. Servants look like servants. Servants get low, and servants do servant things. And if you were taking this sort of quiz today, how would you fare? The goal here is not to have you feeling condemned or have a finger wagging in your face. Jesus says at the end of this passage, now that you know these things, you should do these things. You're going to be blessed if you do them. Some of, some of you, before you came in, you didn't know that this was the way of Jesus. That's fine, but now you know. You can't unknow it. You can't unhear it. You can't unexperience it. So what are you going to do? Whose feet are you going to wash at home this week? At church? At work? At work? in the world around you. Why don't you stand with me as we close. Father, we surrender to you. And that could mean a dozen different things. But no doubt today, Lord, you're using your word and your truth and your spirit is pointing out particular areas and things and people and places where we are to show up better. Lord, some of us have taken to living minimums, doing just enough to get by. And we've learned today that that is not the way of Jesus. And so whether we're a kid or a middle schooler or a high schooler or an adult or senior, Lord, You've called us to serve. You, you, never, you never outgrow serving. We never graduate from being a servant. And so, Father, would you teach us today? Would you show us how to be foot washers in our words and our deeds and our disposition? How to get low and how to do servant things. And Father, as we do servant things, may our heart be converted the life of a servant, that we might look and appear as you have, being in the hands and feet in our various spheres of life. Come Holy Spirit, we surrender to you, in Jesus' name.